Hello, fellow spooky friends. I'm Lauren. I'm Dallas. And welcome to Spooky Spooky Talk, Talk, a podcast that covers true crime, paranormal activity, and all things spooky. Warning, the following episode contains cussing, animal abuse, sexual abuse of a minor, sexual assault, incest, torture, graphic detail, and dialogue, murder, domestic violence, drug and alcohol abuse, addiction, and gang references. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome. Welcome. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Spooky Talk. Um, Thank you for joining us today. We're going to talk about a little story right now um, about Vera Jo Regal and her senseless murder. We usually try to save our banter for the end of the episode, so that way, if you don't want to listen, you don't have to, but you might want to, because then you can kind of get to know us and all those good things, and we'll just, we're, we're learning. This is new to us, but we're, we're going to go, so. And once again, thank you for joining us on our maiden voyage. <laughs> all right, you ready? I'm ready. Are you? I am. Let's go. All right. So when most of us think of family, we really hope that there are happy memories. Family is supposed to stick by you, protect you, and hopefully really only want the best for you. But what happens when the family has been poisoned by one bad egg in the bunch? What if the family is the thing that kills you? So somebody poisoned somebody? No. Oh. It's like, you know, how one bad apple spoils the bunch. Oh, so nobody got poisoned. No, No, not yet. (laughs) The story takes place in a small, quiet town of Finley, Ohio. It's known for its nickname, Flag City. The city was given its name by Congress in 1986. And the reason Flag City suited the town is all thanks to a man named John Cook. When he moved to Finley in the 1960s, he thought that every American should hang a flag on Flag Day. So he made sure that everyone in the community received a small flag. So, they just our, didn't have a bunch of flags, and so they're like, oh, we got so many flags, we'll just call it Flag City. Like, fun with flags? <laughs> <laughs> no, he's just a really good patriot. Um, but the innocence of this wholesome city would be rocked in 2011. It was the discovery of a bloody and beaten body of a young woman. The body was laying in the center of the railroad tracks. No one suspected the horrors that were hidden behind the walls of 300 Center Street. Vera Jo Regal was born on July 11, 1986. Vera enjoyed singing along to country music, and she loved wearing makeup and jewelry. She also appeared that she loved to laugh because in almost every single picture, she has a big, beautiful smile. Even though Vera sounded like an average teenage girl, she was far from it. Her mother described her as having the mental capacity of an 8-year-old. She explained how Vera was bullied while growing up, There was an incident when Vera was a child and she was pushed off of her bike by a neighborhood kid. She was injured, but unfortunately nothing was done about it. But Vera was not willing to give up. She was able to graduate high school in 2005 and with the help of special classes. However, the abuse that Vera suffered early in life, it seemed like everyone that was in Vera's life had a hand in it. Her her father, William E. Regal, had raped Vera when she was 11. He is now serving a 20-year prison sentence at Lima's Allen Correctional Center. He was convicted of four counts of rape, and Vera wasn't his only victim. Willard was labeled 
as a sexual violent predator, which is a person who is likely to engage in the future in one or more sexual violent offenses. And he is thankfully still serving the sentence. So still to this day. Yeah. I mean, he's obviously a piece of shit, but (laughs) (laughs) I just, I feel so bad for her. Yeah. Especially like 11 years old. Yeah. That's a really super impressionable age. Then also on top of that being bullied. Yeah. That poor thing. All right. So the relationship with her mother was strained to say the least. Her mother, who was named Verna Messer Smith, didn't get along with her daughter. After Vera's father went to prison, Verna's new boyfriend also sexually assaulted Vera. So, like, bring in one predator, get rid of one, bring in another. This is obviously what caused the main huge rift between Vera and her mother. They were basically completely estranged by 2009. Vera would talk to her on the phone once in a great while, but never visited. Verna knew that Vera was being treated very poorly in the home that she was living in. Had she known that there was abuse being inflicted on her daughter? But like so many others, she did nothing to try and stop it. Vera's younger sister described through tears how much she loved Vera. She says that her and Vera used to do everything together, and she is heartbroken that her sister is gone. So I got most of my information for this from a um, documentary. It's on YouTube or Amazon, and it's called Goodnight Sugar Babe. And when I first found out about this, I was looking for suggestions for other true crime documentaries because I've pretty much seen them all. And I had never heard of this one before. And when I put it on, like, I realized that I had struck, like, white trash gold here. And it's just, I, I'm saying that with, I'm not trying to be ugly. It's just that this is the best way to kind of describe them. And we're going to get into the whole situation here. I just kind of wanted to let everybody know where my sources are and, I remember watching when Vera's little sister is talking about her sister and it's just so heartbreaking because you could just tell that she's so upset and then it just keeps unraveling and unraveling and it just turns into this huge spider's nest of all sorts of stuff. So it's definitely worth the worth a watch if it you're is. into true crimes and well, which obviously you are if you're listening here. But. It is because When this first happened, the whole family that we're going to learn about, they were all really hush-hush. And then some guy showed up and he was like, hey, you want to be in a movie? And they just had like verbal vomit. They told their whole story and it just caught, it just, I mean, once you think it can't get any worse, it gets worse. And it gives you the visual of the people that we're talking about. Yeah, so. Alrighty. So, Vera's life would change forever when she connected with the Brooks family. It was a large family and probably only one full set of teeth between all of them. They would sell drugs and live off of their disability checks. One son, Michael Brooks, was married to Shannon Brooks. Next, there's Garth Brooks, no relation to the goat, thank God. He had a few run-ins with the law. He was caught having an open container in public in 2011. He also had a warrant for his arrest for not appearing in court. In 2018, he robbed two men blind at a bar and was sentenced to four years in jail. He was, however, released in 2019, but he was soon arrested again for a drug charge. Chucky Brooks was the youngest member of the family. 
He had to serve a juvenile detention facility in 2011 for too many absent days from school. He was able to complete a rehabilitation program and was released prior to his 18th birthday. However, he was arrested again in 2016 at the age of 19. Scotty Emmons was the oldest child. He was removed from his mother's care due to sexual abuse allegations. He was raised by his grandmother, Charlotte, but as a teenager, he began to spend more and more time at his mother's house. Vera would later consider him a safe person. She was closest to him, and she often looked up to him. He did have his fair share of demons, though. In 2015, he pled guilty to fifth-degree felony for drug trafficking, but he only received probation for that charge. So I want to take a second to talk about Scotty. Um, so the Who is sec- Scotty? So Scotty is, there's a, the mother is Sherry Brooks and she is, so Scott is her first birth child, which we'll get into her history in a little bit. But But does Scotty know? Yes. Okay. Scotty knows. Yeah. He knows that Fiona, but anyways, so he just, He's not innocent in this whole thing either. Like, even though she was like, you know, Air Bunny's safe person, she he didn't really do much to step in. And he just kind of was there. The sexual abuse was his mother towards him. So it's just, I mean, it's all still, he's not innocent in the whole thing, even though we kind of made him sound like a good person, you know? Like, he's not, nobody in this house is completely innocent of what happened. Okay, so Kevin Brooks was married to the boy's mother, Sherry Brooks, and he shared three sons with Sherry. He waited on her hand and foot. If she said jump, he would ask how high. He would just start jumping. He was described as Sherry's lapdog, and he was charged with drug trafficking along Scotty. And... Kevin Brooks is just kind of there in the background. Like in the documentary, you don't really see him and he's just, you don't really hear much about him. He's just there. So then there's Zachary Brooks and this guy is scary. He has the dead crazy eyes to the extreme and he was the one with the most violent history and thought that the most dangerous one. His most recent jail sentence was in 2020 for assault and Zach remains there today. I haven't checked up on him recently. I probably will. I am assuming he's still in jail because he's a lifer. Yeah. One of those in now in now. Yeah. Career criminal kind of. Okay. And then Danny Bixler. So, I saw a couple of sources. One said that he was Sherry's cousin. One said that he was Vera's. I'm probably going to say that he is more, probably more of Sherry's side of the family, possibly. It, it's just, we'll get into it. <laughs> he had a girlfriend named Nicole and both lived with the Brooks when he was released from jail. Danny had what I guess is a teardrop tattoo under his eye. And he claimed that he had killed someone to earn that. It's never really been confirmed if he did or didn't. But now the leader of this shit show of a family is Sherry Brooks, the puppet master, the monarch, the female Charles Manson. The family was even later compared to the Manson family 
and she is a living Rob Zombie movie character. Whatever Sherry wanted, she got. You did not want to get on her bad side, and that wasn't an easy task for anyone. I could see Rob Zombie making a movie out of this family. Oh, yeah. So to give you a kind of an idea of what Sherry looks like, um, she's in a wheelchair, and she has her feet wrapped up in these gross bandages, she probably has, she has like one tooth in her stupid head. She has beady little rat eyes and she obviously doesn't know what a hairbrush is. Well, tell us how you really feel. <laughs> I obviously don't really care for her. I'm pretty sure after this episode, nobody else will as well. Like I said, I'm not trying to be ugly. I'm just letting you know to get a good idea of what she looks like. And she's just yuck. <laughs> Alrighty, so, but here's the thing. We're going to talk about her childhood, and it's okay to feel bad for the child, Sherry, because she didn't have a choice in what happened to her, but she has choices as an adult, and that's what I don't feel sorry. I feel sorry for her as a child because it was fucked up what happened, but she had, she as an adult, she had choices, and the choices she made were not good, and that's how I feel about her, so... When Sherry was a child, she was sexually abused by her father, who went by the name Big Chuck. Big Chuck. Big Chuck. And he had even given Sherry the nickname Sugar Babe, and she absolutely adored it. Everyone refers to her by that name because she loves it so much. And that right there shows, like, you know, extreme mental trauma because you shouldn't really like the nickname that your abuser gave you but she loved her dad so much, and, oh, he gave me my own name. So she was placed into foster care and was failed by the system like many are. She was bounced around from home to home until she was released at 16. At that time, she began a sexual relationship with her cousin. She would giggle, and I'm sorry, I'm laughing because I'm uncomfortable. (laughs) But she would giggle, um... And blush as she said that other members of the family called them kissy cousins. <laughs> we just kissy cousins. <laughs> um, oh my god. Okay. I'm sorry. She had five children with him, but all of them were eventually removed when the DCT got involved, and that's basically like child protective services. Five children? Yes. Five children with her cousin? Yes. Holy moly. And yep, so, and then they would be removed one baby at a time. When one would get taken, she would have another one to replace. With her cousin? Yes. Holy moly. And then that one was taken. Um, I believe, because see, there's like different sources say different things. And I'm going to say for sure she had three babies with him, for sure. Um, I did find their names, but I'm going to leave their names out of this just because, you know, it's it's done it's ain't over. nobody want that ain't nobody yeah so i know for sure she had three babies i heard that there was five but she also had babies with kevin brooks her husband now so because i think she has like nine kids total so and kevin's not a cousin no oh okay no okay, yeah. um she I don't remember her cousin's name and I didn't put it in here probably because I didn't really care. (laughs) Okay. So yeah, when one would get taken, she would have another one to replace the one replace quote unquote, the one that was taken. That was her words, not mine. 
So Sherry was losing her children because neighbors and family members witnessed her sexually abusing the children, even as when they were infants. So during this time, she got married to Kevin Brooks, and she found out that Sherry was still having an active relationship with her father. He even said that sometimes Chuck would come over and kick him out of the bed so he could get in with Sherry. Kick her husband out of the bed? Yes. Her, her dad would come over and kick her husband out of the bed and said, it's my turn. Yes. And this dude wow. just went on the couch like a dog. Wow. And I, yeah, so it's just, it's, it's sad. And then like when Sherry got out of foster care, when she was like 16, she tried to kidnap a baby and it was actually Vera Joe when she was a baby. So she's been connected to this woman her whole life without really wanting to, because they were neighbors in an apartment complex. Oh, I was going to say, like, she just randomly picked up some kid and then no, well, someone back into her life. Well, she was friends with Vera's mom for a little bit. And then when she had Vera, she's like, oh, can I have your baby? And she's like, no, you can't have my baby. It's my baby. She's it's like, my well, baby. Yeah. She's like, well, give me that baby. I want that baby. So it's just, it's, it's just weird and creepy. <laughs> so Sherry finally had what she wanted and gave birth to a daughter and her daughter was with her cousin. So she was suspected of sexually abusing her as well. When they took her into the ER one night, the doctor noticed that the little girl had vaginal trauma, but allowed Sherry to take her home. Sherry tried to hide the baby at her mother's house, but it didn't matter. Luckily the authorities removed the baby and placed her into protective custody. Shortly after that, Sherry had one more son taken from her when she was caught performing oral sex on the infant. So it's. Did it say who caught her? It always said that like a neighbor or a family member would just come over unannounced and they would just walk in on her doing her dirty business. Like we know she's up to no good. We got to go check in on her. Yeah, kind of. Okay, so losing her daughter was absolutely devastating to Sherry. It kick-started her obsession to obtain a new baby girl. She wanted another daughter so desperately that she would do almost anything to fill that void. She vowed to herself that she would get another baby girl by any means necessary. Any means necessary. Five children were removed from Sherry's custody. But after she birthed four more, she was somehow able to keep them. Sherry had a plan with the use of her sons. She decided that she would push her sons to have sex as young as 13. She would befriend the girlfriends and demand a grandbaby. There was, they were talking about one of the son's girlfriends where she's like, oh, Sherry told me, like, I love grandbabies. Give me grandbabies. And she's like, so I did. But she ended up having a miscarriage and she moved to Kentucky so she kind of was able to dodge that bullet. Dodge that one. Yeah. So when Sherry crossed paths with Vera, she knew that she had hit the jackpot. Not only did she have the ability to have a baby, but she had a disability check to sweeten the deal. Vera was 19 at the time, and Sherry wanted to set her up with her son, Zachary, who was 13. Sherry encouraged the relationship by telling Vera to get pregnant as soon as possible. It's okay. Let my 13-year-old son knock you up. Yeah. I mean, it's just it's just sad because I really don't think Vera knew any better. And just having this... And she's, she's a people pleaser. 
she's super eager to please so you know this new lady that she meets is being friendly and saying like oh here's my son you know you guys should have a baby and we can be a big old family and Vera's never had that and she wants that and it's just sad they drew her in with the love at first yeah eventually Vera was excited to announce that she was pregnant she jumped for joy when Sherry asked her to move in. She soon had Vera signing her checks over to her and promised to use the money to pay her share of the bills. But things began to change. Sherry saw Vera as a host and even claimed that the baby was hers. She had a back scratcher that she called her itchy stick and she would beat Vera with it. She treated Vera like a live-in slave. She was told to cook, clean, do yard work, and rub and wrap up Sherry's feet every night. So the one of the very last pictures taken of Vera is when she is wrapping Sherry's feet. And she just looks pissed. Because I could tell that that is not a job anybody wants. Well, yeah, you don't want to wrap nobody's stinky, nasty feet. Especially if they like, you got something going on. Well, yeah, like, what kind you... of funk got going on? You got to wrap your feet all the time. And it's like, Ey. And I was thinking about this too, like, because this is where my mind goes. Can you imagine the smell? You don't think about the smell. You don't. So it's just, I mean, it's just, it just sounds like a horrible job. And then the whole itchy stick thing that she would beat the crap out of Vera with it. and. It's just the all the stuff that this girl went through, nobody should have ever been subjected to it, especially somebody as basically as innocent as she was. And as nice and caring and yeah, loving, and I, you know, like all she wanted to do was love and be loved and Yeah, and that that's what I could tell from finding what little I could find about her because they have more information on Sherry because obviously her like that whole side is just a train wreck and everybody loves to watch. But it just kind of, this was, Vera had a life and she deserved more, like she deserved better than what she was dealt. So Vera's living conditions were disgusting, to put it lightly. The family had a pet dog and pig that would use the house as its bathroom. It appeared as though the house had never been cleaned once, and I'm not even sure if they had running water. Sherry wouldn't even use the bathroom herself. She had a bucket that she would keep next to her wheelchair, and she would just use that. It's my poop bucket. Yep, poop and pee bucket. They forced Vera to sleep in the closet with the pig most nights, and sometimes as a form of punishment, Sherry would force Vera to eat the pig's feces. Wow, that's messed up. It is. So, But even through all the abuse... Vera would not give in. She had fallen head over heels for Zach. She wanted them to be a family. Zach, however, did not return the feelings. He claimed that he had absolutely no feelings for her and just did what his mom wanted him to do. He would bring home different girls and flaunt them in front of Vera. He would even perform different sex acts with the girls and he would force her to watch. Then they would take turns beating her for no reason. They said it was just for fun. Sherry would constantly constantly tell Vera that if the baby was a boy, then she would have to terminate the pregnancy and try again. Sherry said it had to be a girl. And Sherry controlled every aspect of Vera's pregnancy, even down to the due date. Sherry wanted Vera to give birth on her birthday. So to try to achieve this goal, Sherry forced several bottles of castor oil down Vera's throat. 
And castor oil is an old method that was believed to induce labor, but most women use it when they are past their due dates and ready to pop. And you really only need a couple tablespoons and not like bottles and bottles. No. So I can understand why Vera got really sick on November 4th, the day after Sherry's birthday, Vera gave birth to a baby girl. She named her Willa Dean and Vera had never loved someone as much as she loved her new daughter. Vera's due date was supposed to be in February. So little Willa Dean had to stay in the NICU for weeks. Once she was able to be taken home, Sherry took over the baby instantly. She would tell everyone that it was her baby and dictated when Vera could see her. Sherry even had the crib set up in her bedroom. She would only let Vera care for the baby when she didn't want to, and Vera cherished every minute that she had with her. Things began to escalate after the baby's arrival. The beatings that Vera was suffering would happen more often. They even began to get more violent. Vera's injuries included a broken nose and had to be taken to the hospital. While there, Sherry was always present and Vera was not allowed to talk. Sherry answered everything for her, and this was a regular pattern. The police had showed up to the Brooks house at least 10 times for calls of domestic violence. Each time, Sherry always hovered behind Vera to make sure that she told the police she was fine. I probably would have been like, hey, Vera, can I talk to you outside, please, without this woman present because it's obvious that she was being beaten but nobody did anything about it although sherry and willa although sherry had willa dean to fill the so-called void in her black soul there was still deep anger brewing inside of her sherry never got over the death of her son punky punky was not only the favorite but he was also head of the household everyone always went to him to know what to do in any situation and Sherry placed him up on a pedestal always like she this was her favorite son. Punky was also a member of the Crips. Um, he said that he was the leader in his area. There were pictures of Punky and his brothers and even Sherry wearing blue bandanas and sporting gang signs. It's not very like not a very big area, right? So. No. And I don't know how many branches of the Crips are in Finley, Ohio. I mean, I I didn't research that. It's just the he said he was the leader in his area. He, and I pro- guess he probably was. He probably know, in was little little town. I don't know. Yeah. So him and his family. Yeah, yeah. And on Facebook, there's pictures of them like flashing gang signs and stuff. <laughs> so Punky died on August 5th of 2010. He was only 19 years old. It was late at night, and him along with his girlfriend at the time, Heather, were walking along the road on their way to buy heroin. A cab came around the corner of a curved street and hit Punky, killing him. He didn't see him until it was too late, and it was later ruled an accident. No charges were pursued, but Sherry did not care. She was so upset that the police wrote off Punky's death as an accident. She wanted someone to pay for what happened. She wanted some form of justice for Punky, and she would not accept that it was an accident. Sherry began to spread lies and rumors that Heather pushed Punky in front of the cab. She felt that since Heather was there, then it was her fault. Sherry got a group of Punky's friends to beat the hell, Sherry's words, out of Heather as she sat and watched. Heather had to suffer multiple beatings thanks to Sherry's fabricated stories. Zachary soon stepped up and took his brother's place as leader of the area. So as far as we know now, Zach is the head man 
At one point in time, Sherry watched Vera clean out the rabbit cages that she had in the backyard of the house outside. Sherry was barking orders to Vera to move some rocks across the yard, and Vera accidentally dropped a large rock on Sherry's foot. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. Vera apologized profusely, but it was useless. She wanted Vera dead for many reasons, but this incident just added more fuel to the fire. And, like, she talks about that, and she's like, Oh, yeah, and I called her like a bitch and said I was going to kill her and all this. And I'm just like, oh, my God. And what was wrong with her feet? She, I don't know. She was like, I'm sure she was probably diabetic because I don't think her health is obviously very good. So I think it's probably a diabetic issue. But they never really, she never really said what her foot issue was. Uh, It's just they're always wrapped up. And getting rocks dropped on them intentionally, I guess. I guess, yeah. So what sealed Vera's fate was a story that she caused the miscarriage of Shannon's baby. Shannon claims that she never told Sherry that she was pregnant, but that was later proved to be a lie. Shannon and Sherry had shared messages on Facebook that they had shared excitement over the new baby. Shannon knew that sometimes easier to say what Sherry wanted to hear rather than deal with her harassment. But she knew that she needed a way out of that lie, and she was spinning, and Vera was going to be the perfect scapegoat. So, supposedly, Shannon told Sherry that she had a miscarriage because Vera had opened up a can of bear mace upstairs. Everyone had to get out of the house because the smell was so strong. According- how, how do you open up a can of bear mace? Is that like opening up a can of whoop-ass? <laughs> no. And it's not like, I don't think it's like a fart in a box either. I think probably what happened, see, that's why they're saying too that we don't really know if this incident actually happened. Or if it's just one of Sherry Brooks's stories. Right, because there was also a neighborhood fight between all the Brooks boys that day. So the cops were being, it was just a whole mess. And Shannon just needed a way out. So they're like, oh yeah, you know, she opened. She broke that can of mace up there so it didn't stop spraying and it smelled so bad that I had to have I had a miscarriage because of it. And that's gonna piss Sherry off. She doesn't open that can of what bass upstairs now and get on the babies. Yeah. Alrighty. So at this time, like after the house the house quote unquote aired out, the damage was already done. Sherry wanted Vera dead. She felt that she had more to gain if Vera was out of the picture completely. Sherry would have Willa Dean all to herself. It didn't take long before Sherry began to plan Vera's death openly. She was very vocal about the idea and would even smile at Vera when it was being discussed. She knew that the murder was secured when Danny Bixler was back in town. And remember we talked about him earlier, Mr. Teardrop Tattoo Man? Mr. Danny Teardrop. Yep, and his... Little girlfriend, Nicole. (laughs) Sherry said that her and Danny are related, but also there was some rumors that it was Vera's cousin. Um, It's hard to figure out and keep track of all the branches of this twisted family tree. So They're all cousins. They're all cousins. They're just all cousins. And the only thing certain is that everybody is fucking everybody else and they're reproducing. That's the only thing we know. And they're all cousins. They're all reproducing. They're all cousins. Yeah. Yeah. They're all related some way. I, I'm sure probably some of it isn't blood and they're just saying like, you know, my cousin because they're such good friends, but there might be some blood in there. 
One of Sherry's kids laughed as they talked about how most of them are products of incest. Um, one of them kind of had a little nervous tick where he always kind of like smiled and giggled and would kind of twitch a little bit. But he was one of the ones that was joking about that, like acting like it was a joke. Danny had just recently been released from jail and he was planning to crash to Sherry's house for a while. Danny brought with him a brand new teardrop tattoo and had a girlfriend named Nicole Peters. Whenever Danny was around, there was always bad news to follow him. Him and Punky used to start fights in the streets, and they were close like brothers. They were their ride or die till the end, and Danny had heard about Punky's death while being incarcerated, but Sherry wasted no time on filling the details of Punky's death in to fit her narrative. She explained that it was Vera who pushed Punky in front of the cab. Vera, not the other girlfriend. Right. Vera was responsible. So and no, she now was the Vera one. is the one who killed Punky. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. And the girl that escaped the situation earlier that we talked about that went to Kentucky when they told her that Sherry said that, like, she was like, oh, my God, I can't believe that. Like, she knew that that was bad. And she knew that that was a lie, too. So the plans began to get more serious as Danny's anger towards Vera was being fueled by Sherry. For hours a day, Zachary, Danny, and Sherry would disappear into her room for hours, but no one would comment on what they did behind closed doors. But I'm sure we can all agree that it was most likely not anything good. One night, they had locked Vera in Punky's old room for hours and withheld food. There was a memorial to Punky on the shelf, and there was a Kit Kat bar that was in front of his picture. Vera was so hungry that she ate the candy, and Sherry lost her mind. She wanted Vera dead soon, so the plan needed to be finished. The final plan that they chose was that they would kill Vera by the railroad tracks. Sherry said that the train would make her body into, quote, hamburger, and the police probably just mark it down as a suicide. There was a specific part of the tracks that Sherry wanted Vera left on. One of Sherry's nephews had actually been skateboarding and died on the tracks when he was struck by a train so it had to be done on the same spot. But just murdering Vera wasn't enough. Danny wanted to torture her for what she supposedly did to Punky. The intense abuse that Vera was about to endure was not what she deserved at all. So normally, I wouldn't add a second disclaimer here, but the abuse is graphic, and if you don't want to listen, I suggest you skip ahead a couple of minutes. Warning. Graphic. Yes. And it's heartbreaking. So it began with Danny following Vera into the bathroom to abuse her. He stripped her and began stabbing her in the thigh with a small knife. He also sodomized her with a plunger repeatedly. Other members of the family would help as well. Sherry would stick her entire finger into Vera's stab wounds to quote unquote see how deep the cut was. Chucky had attacked a padlock to a belt and they would all take turns whipping Vera with it. Nicole joined in quickly, and she got a sick sexual rush from being Vera. She would assault her, and then immediately after, have sex with Danny. She would repeat this pattern, with Sherry cheering her on. Danny forced Vera to eat the dog and pig extremments. Poopies. Yes, extremints, excuse me. Nicole raped Vera with a toothbrush while she was menstruating and then forced her to brush her teeth with it. 
They stomp on her until she eventually passed out due to the amount of pain that she was in. And Sherry's son, Scotty, was upset that Vera passed out because he had to rub and wrap his mom's feet. He was not upset with what was happening to Vera. He's just pissed that he got the foot job. Yep, because Vera couldn't do it because she was beaten too badly. And he was, and the way he said it, too, he was like, I had to do it because Vera was passed out. Got the, got the nasty feet. She's got, she's got some nasty feet. Like, I think so. nobody want to touch those feet. Nobody wants that job. As the clock struck 8 p.m., Sherry does what every puppet master does. She disappears into her room during her finest hour. Danny punched Vera in the back of the head and screamed at her to put her shoes on. He tells her that they're going to take a walk. Vera didn't want to go because she knew that she was most likely going to die. She pleaded with Scotty to go with them. She was hoping that he would maybe protect her. Scotty went upstairs to grab his shoes so he could follow them, but before he could get back down the stairs, Zachary stepped in front of him. He told him that it would be best if he just stayed home and that the situation didn't involve him. Danny and Nicole grabbed a couple of knives from the kitchen block. As Vera pulled her favorite purple hoodie over her head, she turned towards Sherry's room. She saw one of Sherry's little beady rat eyes staring out at her. Vera took a deep breath and said, Good night, sugar babe. And for the last, for the first and last time, Sherry told her good night back. The toxic couple pushed Vera out the door and began their walk. There was conflicting stories about if Zachary joined in or not. He does know certain details about the murder and claims that he did not participate. They led her in front of a soup kitchen restaurant where people saw her bloody and bruised. They were caught on surveillance footage walking single file with Vera in front, Danny pushing her along. When the predetermined spot was in sight, Danny and Nicole both turned and began to attack her. Vera cried out that she wanted to go home, and the two gave a fruitless effort to stab her. The knives that they took were so dull that they weren't able to pierce through her clothes. So Danny decided to strip her, and Nicole scattered the clothes around the tracks. Danny claimed that it would make killing her easier. He placed his foot in between her shoulder blades, grabbed her hair, forcing her head back, and then with a sawing motion, he slit her throat. When he was satisfied with what he had done, he laid her beaten body on the track and fled the scene. The pair threw the knives into a local body of water and proceeded towards a friend house to celebrate the murder. Zach drank very heavily that night. There were reports that he would bang his head against the wall and scream about how he wanted to forget. And the three headed back to Sherry's house where they would continue to party. So I've noticed this about cases with younger people in general, where it's like after they kill someone, it's either they find something to eat, they party, or they have sex. And it's, one of the three. it's always one of the three. And I just, I just can't see how you can disassociate yourself so much that you can kill someone and then go eat at McDonald's or like how these people went and had sex and partied and drank and celebrated. Basically they had left Vera's frail body alone in the frigid temperatures of the night air. They had hoped that when the train passed by, it would destroy the body and they would get away with killing her. All the evidence would be lost. But what they didn't expect is that Vera was still alive. Knowing that she was close to death, she somehow managed to pull herself into the center of the tracks. The effort had exhausted her and she curled up into the fetal position and passed away. 
At about 2 a.m., a train came rushing down the tracks. The conductor spotted Vera's body in the middle of the tracks and first mistook her for a deer. When the train stopped, he was shocked that it was the body of a woman and that it was still intact. The train's clearance was 13 inches and Vera's tiny body was 12. The train had just barely missed her by one inch. And that, I think, is amazing. It's incredible. It's once in a lifetime, like once in a million. And I'm so happy that. So much for Sherry's plan on the hamburger meat. Yeah. So after the police were called, the coroner, Mark Fox, began an autopsy the next day. He reported that she had been stabbed a total of 21 times all over her body. She was showing signs of long and short-term physical and sexual abuse. Her throat had been cut, and she had injuries to her torso, legs, and head. Fox stated that the cause of death was blunt force trauma along with sharp force trauma, and he ruled her death a homicide. The police were able to follow Danny and Nicole's tracks rather quickly. When they interviewed Sherry, they got many different stories. And these are Sherry's words, not mine. First, Sherry told the police that Vera had a black boyfriend and that he probably killed her. Next, she said that some random made-up man named Larry had killed her. And her third story is that she was home the entire night and she had no idea how or when the murder took place. So, I mean... It, it was her black boyfriend? Yeah, it was, it was, it was some, Vera. It was actually some guy named Larry. Actually, yeah. you know, I don't... I was at home. I was sleeping. I have no idea what went on. Yeah, and then she said, oh, the black boyfriend? Yeah, and then she was, like, trying to... Oh, wait, Larry? Yeah, I remember when I talked about Larry? That's the black boyfriend that... He used to beat her up all the time. Okay, so the black boyfriend and Larry are the same person. Yeah, that's eventually what the story is. Okay, I thought, I thought it was, like... Yeah, it, Larry <laughs> or the black boyfriend or the guy that works at the McDonald's or I was just sleeping. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's all bullshit anyways. But so the police decided to turn up the heat on Danny and Nicole. And before too long, they cracked. Dan- they cracked. Danny pled guilty and is now serving 40 years to life for Vera's murder. He was sentenced on March 28th of 2012. Nicole also pled guilty and was sentenced to 23 years. Zach testified that Danny had slit Vera's throat all the way around. And unfortunately, the rest of the family would only be charged with the obstruction of justice. Sherry would not be charged with conspiracy to commit murder because it was ruled as hearsay. And no one's going to turn on her. Even Zach, he, he was there, wasn't he? He was there, yeah. And he didn't get any... He just got obstruction of justice? Yep, because it was more so, I think, probably because due to the plea deals or something like that, and they admitted responsibility instead of, like, even though Zach should be an accomplice, even though he supposedly just watched. But I I don't know. It was just, it was just ridiculous that this whole family got off almost completely scot-free for this. But with Sherry, it was mainly hearsay, and no one's going to turn on Mama. So. Yeah. No. Well, yeah, nobody's going to rat on the ringleader. No. The one who controls all the money in the family. Exactly. So Sherry instantly tried to gain full custody of Vera's baby, Willa Dean. Sherry had claimed that Vera's parents were dead, so the baby should go to her. 
But after seeing the condition of the house, the baby was removed by social services. You mean they didn't want the baby around all those poop buckets? All those poop buckets and the pig running around and the dogs and uh, who knows what else. Hey, the pig poops out food or so. I, I guess, yeah. So Zach had to attend two supervised visits with the baby to have her returned. The first visit was cut short because Willa Dean would become hysterical when Zach would hold her. And he failed to even show up for his second one. Sherry became outraged when Zach was stripped of his parental rights and she was placed up for adoption. Sherry applied, but thankfully was denied. She keeps a picture of Willa Dean in her room and promises her that she will get her back someday. Sherry will try to win the Oscar. When she gets interviewed by the news, she cries alligator tears as she talks about how much she loved Vera. And she stated that she didn't understand why everyone thought that she hated her and that she was heartbroken when she heard about Vera's death. I mean, I loved her so much. I just had to beat her with that itchy stick. (laughs) Yeah, it's you guys need to watch the documentary because then you get a better sense of kind of how the family is. You and get their the di- full picture. Their of dynamic the whole situation. Yeah. So it, it's, it's, it's worth it. So the town of Finley was outraged at the lack of justice that Vera received to bring awareness to the case. They formed a group called voices for Vera. They hung up purple ribbons to honor her and they would hold up signs of protest. They were determined to give Vera a voice so she wouldn't be silenced forever. Less than a year later, a family proceeded with an adoption agreement for Willa Dean. The family was a perfect fit and she would be able to grow up in a loving and stable household and live a healthy lifestyle. Vera loved her daughter more than life itself and she wanted Willa Dean to know. Police recovered a note from the pocket of Vera's hoodie and it read, I love you Willa Dean. You are a good little baby girl to us. I am glad to be your mommy, and I am glad that I had you on November 4th at 4.16 a.m., 6 pounds, 2 ounces, and 19 inches long. Mommy loves you. That's so sad. (sighs) Yeah, it's a bummer. And um, if you go to our Instagram, spooky.talk.podcast, you have to have the dots in there. We'll come up. We're going to go ahead and um, put up pictures of the family and Vera. So that way you can kind of put faces to the voice if you don't really, or like, you know, faces to the story. If you don't really want to watch the documentary, if it was too hard, but I'll put those pictures up there so you can see what they look like. Um, and you can go ahead and hit us up on social media through there. If you have any case suggestions or any comments or anything like that, just go ahead and email us. Um, do you have anything that you want to add to us? I don't have anything to add. Just it's just a horrible, horrible, horrible thing that happened to Vera, and uh, yeah. Yep. So I think right now I think it's just best to go ahead and say goodbye. And until next time, stay spooky. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. <laughs>